This truly is a very unexpected gathering of people knit together by our shared faith in Christ, brought into this one family when we placed our faith in him and then given his Holy Spirit to knit us together. One of the things I want us to do as we think about the book of Ephesians that talks about God's gathering of an unexpected family is for all of us to begin thinking again about what God did to bring us into his family. The, the people who brought us the message, the good news about Jesus, uh, the, where we were before we came and where we are now. And I'm going to be having a few of our family members share those life stories. And I'm so thankful that the first one who had the courage to do this uh, is Min Shigematsu. Actually, Min, you and I have known one another for a while. And the first time I met you, you weren't Min Shigematsu. Min it, oh, Min, <laughs> Min Lee. Something happened. Here in the life of the Lake Avenue Church that transformed the name. And we'll hear a little bit about that. And that is, well, here. Should I tell them? Yes. Here, uh, men met her uh, husband, John Shigematsu, sitting right on the second row. John, stand. Let's let folks see you as well. I first met men a number of years ago. It was on the campus of the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. She had come there. Well, she'll tell you where from. And we met right outside the library. And I remember how sort of God knit our lives and hearts together. And I'm so thankful now to be in this local church family with you men. Share with us what God has done in your life. Thank you. I was born in China. When I was raised there, China went through a dark time. During the Cultural Revolution, many Christians were being persecuted. There were no churches seen in public. All religion was strictly forbidden. The Bible and almost all other books were banned. We were taught Marxism and Darwinism. We never heard about God. Men tried to keep God out. But God cannot be controlled by man. He shines his light, even in the darkest environment. God began to target my heart. All that I was taught left my heart unsettled. At a very young age, I used to ask my grandma, who is my grandma's grandma's grandma? Who was my first grandma? And at night, I look at the stars and wonder, how do they stay up there? When I was a teenager, both my grandparents passed away. The pain of losing loved ones led me to face the problem of death and the meaning of life. I struggled greatly, knowing the truth that one day, death would take all my loved ones away, and it would take my life too. If everything ends in death, what is the ultimate meaning of life? Until in college, a good friend of mine told me secretly, and she said, there is a book called the Bible. And it says, we are created by God. And God created heaven and earth. In him, there is 
eternal life. Not long after that, I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. And was baptized into God's unlikely family. Having a new life in God totally changed the course of my life. Later, the Lord brought me to the United States, and I was able to worship God freely in this country. And I even had the opportunity to study God's Word in one of the best seminaries, <laughs> Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. From where I was in China, it was impossible even to imagine that I would have such opportunity to study His Word. It was again God's grace. I was blessed to have Dr. Waybright as my president when I studied there. And he cared for international students so much. We really appreciate you. You often took time to greet us in campus, and we love him. And in 2002, I moved to Pasadena and started attending this great church. Like Pastor Waybright introduced that, I met my husband here and we got married here. Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) And now being united with uh, Pastor Waybright and Anne McGann being shepherded under his great teaching. Thank you, Pastor Waybright, for giving me the opportunity to share my testimony. And my life is a testimony to God's grace. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now we're going to take a moment and hear our Father's word and just how relevant this testimony is to what God says in his word. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. For those of you who are memorizing this with me, we'll start with verse 1. And you can say it with me, but I'll let you take out your Bibles so that you can have a little cue here to help us out a bit through verse 8. And then I'll read from verse 9 through 14. So let's stand together. Because we know we are hearing our Father's word, this privilege of hearing the word from the maker of heaven and earth. Ephesians chapter 1, we begin with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with the pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And this is our Father's word. Thanks be to God. I knew today that we would have this special gathering. We really have special gatherings every time we gather because located here in Southern California, you know, this community is made up of people from all over the world. You know that's true. And look around you, this local church, more than I think any place I've ever been, is a gathering of God's people who have found, yes, there is distinction among people. God's made us that way. That's part of the beauty of what God's made, right? But there is also a unity that comes in Christ. Now, what I thought about is, I thought, what could I say that would really hit something that is true about each one of us? I wanted to make a couple of these broad generalizations about all human life. Now, before I do, you know that sometimes people make fun of speakers and especially preachers about making these broad, general statements. All human beings are like this or that. Did you know that? Back about 10 years ago, there, there was a whole series of quips that came out making fun of this. Uh, for example, the whole world can be divided into two kinds of people. Those who divide the world into two kinds of people and those who don't. You've probably heard that. Or my favorite one. There's a whole series of these. The whole world can be divided into three kinds of people. Those who can count and those who can't. You see, some of you are still wondering about it. Anyway, I want you to know it's so risky for me to uh, stereotype all human life. And yet it seems to me that there are same things that are true about almost all of us. And there are two general traits of human life that I want you to consider. Number one, I believe that God has made all human beings with a sense that there is a purpose, a direction 
behind all that happens. That there is some purpose behind all that happens. Because you see, when we experience things in this world and we don't believe that it's headed anywhere, we often feel despair, discouragement, or as if our lives simply have no meaning. Now, I was testing this out all week with people that I spoke with. And on Tuesday, I had a couple of meetings with folks, my colleagues and friends here at the church. Uh, At lunchtime, I had the privilege of having lunch with Pastor Dina Moore. Uh, Most of you know that Pastor Dina lost her husband in an untimely way early this year, Terry. Uh, no No one of us expected this strong, vibrant man to be taken, and yet he was. I asked Dina, and I asked her for permission to share this. I said, Dina, does it make any difference? That you believe from the depths of your being that this was not just a haphazard event, but that God has some plan that he is working out, that there is something good that God will bring out of this even great tragedy, and that someday you'll be able to see Terry again. And she affirmed to me that even though she still feels the depths of sorrow that we feel when there is a loss, even though she still experiences the loneliness that comes when someone that we are used to being with and love being with is no longer there, that her faith in Christ and that he has some future, even when we may not see all of it at this moment, has transformed and changed everything and given her hope and given her a reason to continue to bring the gospel to our preteens here at the Lake Avenue Church. After that, after Dina was gone, in came a group, Albert and, and Jeremy and And uh, John Stuthers came in and I remember the first time that John and I had an opportunity to sit down for a while. can't remember right down South Lake. We had uh, lunch together and I remember John at that time. I think it was January sharing with me the incredible uh, range variety of things that he and his wife Sandy have done over the many, many years. I mean, you won't believe it as you get to know him. He has been involved in writing and in in production and and in in arranging Uh, working with the music world, working with the art world, working in camps, working in colleges. I mean, you'll hear it over and over again as you get to know him. And he says he he can't quite see how all of this variety of pieces really do fit together. Well, now that we're starting to see some of it, perhaps, some of it, perhaps, this is perhaps just yet another of those many things that, that I think God is doing. But I ask, does it make any difference When you have all of these things happening out there that you don't quite understand how they fit together to believe that God knows. That even if we don't know what tomorrow hold, he does. And that these things that in the world would seem to be random, that God has something that he's working out in the midst of them. And John, you affirmed to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It it, it makes it makes an enormous difference. And you see, that, that's the point. I think all of us as human beings, and I've found even secular people get at this. I hear this, that when difficult things happen, I'll hear people who, who, who say they don't believe in God say something like this. There must be some purpose behind this. I wonder why this is happening. Well, there's no answer to that. If there is no future, that some intelligent, powerful being is working out. So that's the first thing I want us to think about. I think God has made people with the sense that there is some purpose behind things, that that the world really is headed in some direction. And second, it seems to me that God has made us with a deep sense that what we do actually matters. That the lives we live contribute 
to something that is good and something that is beautiful. Even when we get in those times in our lives where we can't make any sense out of it. Wondering why on earth, God, did you allow that to happen? Why on earth did you put me in this place? If we honestly believe that the lives we live make no contribution to any kind of meaningful future, then we end up with meaninglessness in our lives, even in despair. And what, when that connection breaks down between our lives and what we do, and some sense that it makes a positive contribution to a future, then we're usually left with three alternatives as human beings. One, to just give up. To just give up. Number two, to try to find some escape to fill in the emptiness in our lives. I mean, whether that would be alcoholism, workaholism, trying to fill it in just by working all the time so we don't have to feel the fact that I can't make any sense out of this, or all sorts of, of things like entertainmentism and so many things that you can fill in as well. Or three, we can do what men has testified to. Begin a search for something that can make sense out of our lives and out of this universe that God has put us in. Now, I want to try to illustrate these two things. I was thinking about an article I read 15, 17 years ago. Business people, you might find it for me, in the Wall Street Journal. And I remember it began this way. In the 1980s, Cars didn't look the same as when Henry Ford bought his, uh, built his Model T. But they were built in pretty much the same way with an assembly line. So you would have an assembly line where everybody simply had some little task. Sometimes it felt very menial. But no, nobody ever saw uh, the final product. So for years, uh, automobiles were built that way. In 1987, the Swedish company Volvo, observing that its auto workers were becoming increasingly depressed in doing this work and that the more they worked on this assembly line they became increasingly unproductive engineered a whole new plan for building a car they moved away from the assembly line production to what is called the batch work system what they did was assembled groups of people like 20 people in a particular group responsible for building the whole car responsible for building the whole car so different people would sometimes take on a number of different tasks and so they were able to see within the building of that team the construction of the entire automobile. This approach, the Wall Street Journal said, resulted in sharply improved productivity, improvement in quality, as well as profits that became the envy of the world auto industry. In, in the five years before they did this, Volvo was losing an average of $45 million a year. Five years afterwards, they had become the most profitable automaker in the world. Now, you know, many of you who work in business now, that many different companies have adopted this, this sort of a plan. But what really hit me, and the quote that I wrote down, was from the chairman of the board of Volvo. I wish I could say his name. Per Hirenhammer. I need a Swedish person here to help me with this. But look at what he said. He said, I want the people in a team to be able to go home at night and really say, I built that car. There is something about this approach of letting each one see how his work contributes to the building of the whole car in this line that is very humanizing. See, I, I think God has made us to, to need to have a sense that the world is headed somewhere and, and we need to have the sense that what we do actually contributes to that direction and purpose. Now, I've been praying and thinking about this service so long. And, and I've thought about this gathering of God's unexpected people, which the book of Ephesians, I don't know if you notice it, said this was God's eternal plan. 
What we are experiencing here this morning is just a part of this global family. And it's not just an afterthought of God. Before the creation of the world, God said, this is what I was going to do. In this divided, often fragmented world, I'm going to build a family where people will be able to know me as their father. And and they'll be able to experience something of the love of the family among those who have trusted Christ. So I've thought, what do I want to say to us? If I am right about these two realities being true of all of us, wherever we come from, whatever our first language might be, then this became my prayer. I want to establish in our hearts this morning, all of us who trust in the Lord Jesus and count him as our master and and our hope. I want to establish in our hearts that we have an assured destiny. I want you to know that your life is not random. Even if sometimes you can't quite figure out what's going on at the particular time. And I want you to know that what's happening here today is not some random event. That God has said, there is something I'm going to do in this world to make this world different for people. I'm going to plant my family where people can belong. And I think that if if, if somehow I can communicate that clearly, that you and I trust in a Lord who said this in Romans 8, 28, I work all things. I work all things for the good of those who love me. I'm going to work all things for the good of those who are called according to my purpose. Do you see that? Not necessarily that those things that we experience are good. But he'll even take the painful things and work them for our good. If I can convince us of that, then I think we will leave this place in trusting all of our beings day by day, year by year to the Lord and being thankful for what he's done. I thought that in these days with that hurricane hitting the Gulf with that train wreck that happened that when people in the midst of that experience that and when we read about it it seems to be so senseless that unless there is something that God is working out of such tragedy there is such a sense of hopelessness and futility if only we can learn to trust That the sting even of death has been taken away. And that God can even transform tragedy into beauty. If we can only grasp that he does, it will make all the difference in the world. Well, today, I have just a few moments, but I want to show you three facts about the future that are established in Ephesians chapter 1. You might want to make note of them. They speak specifically to the building of the whole family, the family, the church, the local family of God. But I think you're going to see that they have application to every one of us in each moment of our lives. Fact about the future number one. It'll take us all the way back to verse four. And here it is. Someday there will be a holy and blameless family of God. A family of God made up of people of every tribe, language, and nation is going to exist. And that family, as a whole, is going to be holy and blameless. And that includes the individuals in it. It's almost unimaginable when we look in the mirror, isn't it? It goes all the way back to Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us his family, in him, before the creation of the world, to be, to be what? Do you see it? To be holy and blameless in his sight. So he took unholy and blame-filled people, 
He says, I'm going to forgive you of those sins. Redemption by his blood. Forgiveness through Christ. And I'm going to begin working in you until someday you as an individual and we as a church, all of us, will be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, one of the difficulties in us just studying Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is that you don't get 4 through 6. Uh, 1 through 3 tells us all that God has done for us. There's no hope because Christianity, we respond to his work. But sometimes we feel like there's nothing for us to do. Well, Ephesians 4 through 6 will dispel you of that idea. There is a responsibility in response to the love of God and what he's done. Look at first chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, he says, that's where Paul was when he wrote this. Now I'm going to tell you how you're supposed to live. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, which involves humility and gentleness. You, you can read it through how we speak, tells us to stop stealing, tells us to get along with our wives, tells us how to work. All of those things that contribute to a life that is holy and blameless. You see, somehow in the American church, those of you who come from other places, you might find this unimaginable. Somehow we've gotten this idea that God rescues us and forgives us from our sins, but leaves us to go ahead and live as we want. It's the sins that destroy our lives. So God says, well, I'll just forgive you of those, but you just go ahead and keep on living those rotten lives. And God says, absolutely not. I love you so much that I'm going to forgive you of your sins, and I'm going to give myself to you. And I'm going to keep working in your life until you are holy and blameless. God did not redeem you and me from bondage and sin in order to leave us in sin and bondage. Or the way I put it, you can just leave. Jesus didn't give his life for our sins and then just leave us to live in them. God does not give his Holy Spirit to us and then just let us remain unholy. Now I want you to see our destiny is to be holy and blameless. And you have your Bible. Look at the next little phrase. It's startling. Who is going to determine whether we are holy and blameless? In his sight. I mean, you know how we can fool one another sometimes. But God knows our inner beings. And, and what God says is, I love you so much, I'm going to keep working in your inner being until even in my sight you are holy and blameless. And, and what he's getting at is this. I'm going to adopt you, using the language of Ephesians 1, into this, this family. In an adopted family, at first, people don't look all that much alike. But the more people live together, the more we kind of develop the same kinds of gestures. Have you ever noticed that in your families? The same kind of facial expressions. If you've never noticed this, uh, the, the easiest time to see it is, is when you uh, have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and for the first time you take them to your family, take them to your home, they've never met your family. Then they almost always start laughing. Because the very things you say, the very things you do, the very expressions you have in your face, they see it in your mom or dad. You do. Isn't that true? Sometimes it scares us to death if our relationship with our mom and dad wasn't all that great. Well, the wonderful thing here is we have the perfect and loving father who says, I'm going to bring you into my family and I'm going to begin working in your life. Begin working in your life until we bear family traits. Who is God? He is holy and blameless. What has he chosen to do? He has chosen to call together a family of very unholy, blame-filled people. Found a way to forgive us through Christ. And has promised us that he's going to work in our lives.
until we are what he made us to be. And I'll tell you, when you have a gathering of an unlikely family like this, our goal is to call you to Christ. He's the only one who can forgive you of sin and to begin working in your life, ministering in your life until you and I become all that God would have us to be. There's a verse that has become one of my very favorite verses for our church. You'll hear me cite it a lot. It's in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I think just before that, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. What do we do at the Lake Avenue Church? No, I think we'll go to the next verse after that as well. I think we'll keep going forward. <laughs> there must be a Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Let's keep going. Colossians 1, 28. Well, maybe you've turned to it by now. You know I shouldn't have been looking back there. It would have popped up immediately. This is just to keep me on my toes. Just look. See, this makes you look at it, doesn't it? What are we going to do in this gathering of our local unexpected family? We're going to proclaim Christ whenever you come here. And when we proclaim Christ, we're going to take open this word. Wisdom means living life as a wise God created life to be lived. So we're going to proclaim Christ, admonishing each one and teaching each one with all wisdom. With this goal, so that we may present each one fully mature, complete in Christ. It is to this end that we are going to strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in us. See, that is the responsibility we have. And my responsibility is to open this word. And sometimes when you come to church, uh, you're going to be admonished. You're going to say, oh, that's not how I should have been living. But you're going to be offered hope. God knows and forgiveness is available. And sometimes you're going to say, but how should I live? We're going to be taught. And we're going to keep doing this until each one is complete in Christ. Now, does this give you hope on an individual level? Come into church and you say, I'm not quite perfect yet. God says, I know, but I'm not done with you yet. It means that when you come back into this place, this world will be open. And I want you to give your life back to him. Now, does this also help you to, um, what would I say, appreciate even flaws in a church family like Lake Avenue Church? If you come here sometimes and say, oh, that's not a perfect church. I would say, why are you surprised? God isn't done with us yet. And we're in this wonderful process that when he is done, he's headed in a direction with us. We are going to be holy and blameless. Hallelujah. Fact about the future number two. When sometimes things happen in our lives that don't add up, Jesus will eventually sum everything up. Now, you've got to pull up your Bible. Some people think this is a very hard text to understand. So I can't wait to show you what it says. And he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Here's what he's saying. It was God's eternal plan to have an unexpected family together. Generations went on when this unexpected family hadn't been gathered. God gathered a people, the people of Israel, through whom someone would come. Everybody thought, someday it's going to happen. Someday it's going to happen that that people from outside are going to be able to come into the family of God. But it hadn't happened yet. How is it going to happen? It's a mystery, but that mystery has now been made known. 
He is going to bring together this family in Christ. God was going to enter into this world. Verse 10. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring together all things in heaven and on earth. And my version says, together under one head, even Christ. Now, do you know that the New Testament wasn't written in, uh, in English? Um, New Testament in Greek. But did you also realize that Greek wasn't the Apostle Paul's first language? Did you know that? Almost certainly he was Jewish. Hebrew, would you guess? Aramaic, perhaps? I'm guessing Greek was his second or third language. Well, I'm telling you, working in a second or third language, he used awfully big words. And I want to show you two of them here. Show two of them to you here. The first one, this thing in verse 10, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, is trying to translate a Greek word, oikonomia. Oikonomia. It has to do with a house or a household. The real meaning of the word is the one who manages, manages a household. You see, it's family language. Uh, that God always had a plan to bring this family into being. And he wasn't going to finish until his whole work is done. We're going to be complete in Christ. And until then, he's the one managing the family. He's the one saying, I'm going to determine the times when this happens. Now, I understand this well. Do you? Uh, I grew up in a, in a family, the ultimate, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy family. I, I've, t- I, I've told some of you, we have some guests here. Uh, amen. I heard a couple of amens up here. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a family where my mom, who's about five feet tall, was kind of a combination of Lucille Ball and Granny on Beverly Hillbillies. She was a, a bright, outspoken person. And I'll tell you, when it came to the household, when it came to the family, she was the manager of the family. There would be days when we would have family days where there were certain things to be accomplished. I had a bigger brother, and sometimes we tried to get out of those things. And we'd always try to come up with something. Mom, can we do this? And the answer always was, not until that is finished. See, she was the one managing this thing. And in a very same way, are you beginning to see it? God has said, in my family, I know what I'm doing. You may not see it right now, but you've got to trust me on this one. There are going to come times when you want me to do something right now, and, and you can't quite see it. But I am the one who is the manager of this. I'm going to put things into effect. You'll begin to see it in the timetable that I have established. That's what that word is about. Now, the second word is an even bigger one. Anakethalataomai. You want to try to say it? (laughs) Those of you who know Greek, you'll you'll see one word in there. uh, Kephale, which is from the word head. And it's, I think, so mistranslated in our NIV. It really has to do with summing things up. To bring things together in heaven and on earth in such a way that everything begins to add up. That's, what it, that's what's really being said. That, this word is only found one other time in the New Testament. It's in Romans 13:9, with the second part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, he says all of them can be summed up in one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so in this one, what it, it's accountants, you can understand this word. It usually was used for when sums of numbers would be put in a row so that you could add it all up. And here's what it's getting at. So many times things happen in our lives that seem to be random. Makes absolutely no sense when we see it from our perspective. Isn't that right? That's why I drew John's illustration in. So many things are happening. You say, how does that fit? A day is going to come, God says. Trust me on this one. 
when in my management of what is happening in this world, Christ is going to bring his work to completion and then everything will add up. Then he is the one who will make sense out of what often feels so senseless in this world. I tell you, if there is no life beyond this life, And no God who will turn tragedy even into victory, a cross into our salvation, then this world truly is futile. The hope that we have is that God has said, I will find a way to turn death into life and tragedy into victory. And you may not see it now, but the Christ who came to give his life for you will come again. And someday he is the one who will make it all add up. The world that you and I live in is not random, even though it may feel like now, like it now, and you can't see what he's doing. Did, did you see the worship folder where I, I, I alluded to the article by uh, Stephen Hawking? Uh, when I was studying in Cambridge, uh, he did a lecture there does, uh, that drew upon a line from Albert Einstein, Does God Play Dice? Uh, Albert Einstein, of course, being the mathematician and scientist that he was, believed in scientific laws operating in this world. Did you know it's not just Christians that sort of wonder how is it on one side that God's working a plan and on the other side that we have responsibility? Did you know scientists have the same problem? That if our world operates by natural laws, is there any sense in which we have any freedom to make a difference? And there are some who believe, no, everything is like a big machine sort of marching forward. Well, Hawking doesn't believe that. And he was trying to argue about why he, as a theoretical physicist, believes in the operation of of natural scientific laws, but on the other side, believes in randomness. In fact, he believes that randomness is at the heart of the universe. And he he has a great sense of humor. I I used to eat lunch at a pub where he had his own table. I never got to talk with him there. He's, you know, such a well-known person. But this is what he said. You know, when he thought about people who believed in determinism, I have noticed that even people who claim everything is predestined and that we can do nothing to change it, look before they cross the road. (laughs) Well, the only other option for Hawking uh, is that if if, if we don't have any direction, then it must be that everything is random. And arguing from black hole theory, he tries to come up with the fact that underneath everything, even though generally scientific laws operate, In those exceptions, there are times where randomness happens so that we can never fully know where things are headed. The future is uncertain. And he has to say, even as I tried to say last week, it's hard for us to understand this. And he said, to show this properly, I would need a four-dimensional screen. However, because of government cuts, we could only manage to provide a two-dimensional screen. I I, kind of... I like that better than you do. (laughs) As I tried to argue, sometimes it's hard for us to understand how it is that God is working out a plan and that what we do still makes a difference because we are three-dimensional beings and God is an omnidimensional God. All that I want you to know is this. What we do matters, but it's still not random. And someday those things that we don't understand now, if we will trust him, when Christ finishes his work, it will all add I hold on to that. I hope you will as well. Third and then finally. Fact about the future number three. When God is done with this unexpected family, he is going to receive glory. When he's done 
And even now, as he's doing it, God will receive glory. Do you notice that comes up in verse 6? All this is done to the praise of his glorious grace. But this entire sentence, it's one big long sentence from verse 3 to 14, ends with all of this is going to happen to the praise of his glory. Now, I know that sounds like a religious term. Anyone visiting today, you have to say, well, that's just religious talk. Maybe I can explain it in a way that will thrill you. What, what is to glorify? To glorify means to somehow demonstrate or to reflect the qualities of another person. To, to mirror what someone is like. So if we're going to glorify God, we need to somehow show this world what God is like. Oh, that's going to be tough because God is infinitely perfect. And so I put this definition up for you there. The glory of God is somehow the reflection or demonstration of his infinite perfections. Now, how is this world going to see what God is like? Well, let me think about, think about it this way. Uh, we've just come through the Olympic Games. Uh, we know we had a great swimmer in those Olympic Games, right? Where do you see the great strengths of a person like Michael Phelps? Where is the arena to see what he can do? Isn't it in the pool? Here in Southern California, we have, I've heard, a great basketball player on the Lakers. Where do you see what Kobe Bryant can do? Where are his gifts and talents and strengths demonstrated so that we can see them? You see, the, the glory of Michael Phelps is demonstrated in the pool. The glory of Kobe Bryant is demonstrated in the Staples Center. Singers, where is a great singer like Pavarotti? Where is his gift best demonstrated or reflected to the world? Is it not in the concert hall? All right, are you with me here? Where is the place that the power and the majesty and the grace of God going to be demonstrated to this world? The arena of demonstrating to this world what God is like. Well, here it is. Just, just look around you. This unlikely, unexpected family that was God's eternal plan that he brings together and plants in a community like this one so that his people see us, they'll see something of what he is like. Now, how are they going to see something of what he's like? Look at your Bible once again. In him, we were chosen, verse 11, with this destiny according to his plan. He's going to work it out in conformity with the purpose of his will. Look at verse 12. That in a... In order that we, and that was Jewish people. See, Paul was a Jewish person. We Jews, the ones who are the first to hope in Christ. God is going to do that so that even we can be for the praise of his glory. In verse 13, and you, who's that? Oh, does that include people from Mississippi? I keep wondering about that. You, all who are not Jewish. See, they had big walls between Jewish and non-Jewish people back in the first century. Just like we've got some walls in our day, right? Okay, the we, Paul said, we Jews, we're in because of Christ. And you also were included in Christ. When? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you Gentiles, he said, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit coming into your life is a deposit guaranteeing that you're a part of the inheritance of God. Do you see what he's saying? 
I think this is one of the most misread passages in all of the Bible. I think it almost certainly appeals back to times in the book of Acts. When first the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jewish people in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so they knew God was doing a new work. But they were quite shocked when a little bit later he fell upon the Samaritans too. Oh, you mean those half-breeds? They're in the family too? Yes, they have the Holy Spirit. And then come to Acts chapter 10 and look at particularly verses 44 to 48. Peter was going to Cornelius' house. He was a little afraid of going there to that Gentile house because he shouldn't be seen there with Gentiles. And what happens? Cornelius and the Gentile people believe in Christ and they are given the Holy Spirit. And the shock of all shocks. An unexpected family. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. The meaning there is identifying. This is the seal. Who do you belong to? You are in the family of God. A guarantee that you are in. Don't let anybody tell you you aren't. Because God has given himself to you. A, a guarantee. The word is arabon. A down payment. You see, it's, the, arabon means an engagement ring. It always has in Greek. It means that God has made you a promise and a pledge. That when you trust in Christ, he will complete his work in you. You see what he's getting at. That when this unexpected family comes together and sings together, opens the word together, serves alongside of one another, the world will look at this family and say, that's what God is like. We'll demonstrate the power of God who alone can tear down the walls that separate us. Walls of age, walls of ethnicity, walls of language and bring us into one family. They'll see something about the beauty of God as they see the unity of God's people. And God says, I will do it. I will do it. And that will bring you to my prayer for the Lake Avenue Church. I've written it up here for you. The destiny of the Lake Avenue Church. I think he's already doing it. But look, is that we are to become a corporate, a visible and audible family. That is going to show to this world the unity, the power, the love, the holiness, the majesty, and the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, do you see why it is that when church people don't get along with one another, how the whole cause of Christ is harmed? Remember what Jesus said? This is how people are going to know you're my followers. If you have loved one for another. Uh, Father, I pray, he would say, just before going to the cross to do what is necessary to bring us into the family. I pray for those who will believe in me, Father, that they may be one so that the world may see it. And that the world may believe. Look at Ephesians 3.10. That even the cosmic powers, the evil powers that war against what is good. That when they see the oneness of God's family. They will have the wisdom of God declared to them. One of the reasons why I'm so thrilled that God led us to come to this church is because I see in this particular community, one of the most diverse communities in all of our world, we have the opportunity of being the family of God and of showing to Southern California that the walls that separate people from God are down through faith in Christ and the walls that separate us from one another are down in Christ. And as we become one unexpected, unlikely family in the eyes of the world, but always expected and planned by God, we bring glory 
we bring glory to his name. So where is this world headed? I think God's made us to need to know that and that our lives contribute. He's not going to be done until he has a family that looks a lot like him, holy and blameless in his sight. I'm looking forward to him finishing that in my life. And he's not going to be done until each one of us, each one of us is holy and blameless in his sight. Number two, that someday the things that we don't see, that we don't understand that he's doing, he's going to have it all sum up. It's going to all add up. It's all going to make sense. You've just got to trust him that it will happen in Christ. And thirdly, by his grace, by his power, we will become a part of God's family that when the world sees it, they will see what God has done and they will know what he is like. We live to his glory. Amen. I'm going to sing a song right now that reflects that if we'll have our musicians to come forward. Um, I think this will sum up today's service so wonderfully. Now to the, the King Eternal, the wise one, the one who can do far more than we could ever ask or think or even imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. Jeremy, lead us as we sing this song of praise at the end.